I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. I've had people have a house put in a parcel map and they don't have their house, but they didn't go into details of if there's an existing easement, which is public access. And I've had water lines was going through people's front yard and the city got rights to dig their yard up. And so when you research, you got to know like you see dig alerts. Some people will start digging and don't understand that fiber optic lines is on three feet shallow from existing surface. So the point of researching is to make sure what is out there. Hello, my name is Demetrius and you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. In today's episode, we continue our conversation with professionals in the building industry. Our industry is super diverse. There's a wide range of roles you can have in this industry. We had a previous conversation with a civil engineer, but uh, we want to do it one more time. And we have a friend of the show, Anthony Winston, the third joining us again from Winston Engineering. He is the owner and principal engineer for Winston Engineering. If you recall, he actually has a degree in electrical engineering, but his company has grown so much over the time that I've known him. He's added in mechanical, plumbing, and now civil engineering. So today he brought along someone from his team, Roy Walters, who started out as a surveyor in Kansas working on major highway projects. And after obtaining his associate's degree in civil design from Kansas City, Kansas Community College in 1996, he's worked on a number of different projects, including 
the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas, and the Gold Line train system in LA, in Los Angeles. So Roy has extensive experience on a wide variety of projects, both large and small. So he gave some good insight today into what a civil engineer does, some things you can look out for as a property owner, and why you should always bring a civil engineer into your projects. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Anthony and Roy. Anthony, Roy, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Anthony, so let me start with you. Uh, Winston Engineering, you've actually been on Friend of the Show. Uh, you've been on twice now, I think. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. You initially started, you're an electrical engineer, started there. Your company has since branched out to uh, add mechanical engineering, plumbing, and now civil engineering. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your company. Quick snapshot. Yeah, so I'm Anthony Winston III. Uh, like you said, I'm a licensed electrical engineer. Started Winston Engineering about seven years ago now. Uh, started out just doing electrical by myself. Uh, eventually, clients kept asking, hey, do you do mechanical and plumbing? And one day I said yes and figured out the right resources. Uh, we've been doing that since about 2016. And then the same conversation kept coming up about civil engineering and I was a little nervous about it just because it's something that's totally different from what I'm, what I'm used to. Um, but now we, we have civil engineering going, so we have a, a full team. So we're really excited uh, because this opens up a whole new world. Yeah. So, Roy, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you uh, now joining the team and bringing that, that civil engineering expertise. Yes, um, I'm Roy Walters, and I'm the one of the top, I always say the top civil designer. <laughs> um, and why I joined with Winston Engineering, because um, some people don't know, as a civil designer, I've been through this so much. What's a civil designer? Well, I'm the one who's going to take the imaginations of what someone wants their property to look like. And I'm going to make it make sure that it works for what the ground actually is. Or we, you know, we have to add or take away. So when we have the products like electrical and mechanical, they got to be built on a site, which is where I come in. Okay. So Anthony, give, give me a little sense of um, this expansion into civil. You talked about how nervous you were about it. And can you walk me through the final decision to, to do it and what made you comfortable in finally pulling the trigger? Yeah. So our office manager, uh, Brooke, since she's been with the company, she's like, I keep getting calls for civil engineering and we have no advertisement whatsoever of civil engineering <laughs> on our, on our website. So I'm like, all right, clearly there's a need for it. And then one day I was in Arizona visiting some family. And while there I visited one of the top, um, custom home builders in Arizona and, you know, just hung out in his office. And, uh, he was like, Anthony, you know what? You need to get into civil. He said there's a big issue with uh, lack of communication with civil engineering. Response times are very slow. And I see you nodding and, and <laughs> laughing a little bit. <laughs> and that seems to be status quo. And Winston Engineering has never been status quo. Like we're really fast with responding. And I'm like, that's, that's easy. Responding to someone and giving them status is the easy part of, of what we do. And he said, you know what, if you get into this, I'll refer you and you'll get work immediately. 
And so I took about a year just thinking about it and, and strategizing and figuring out the right partner because we brought on, uh, his name is Jaffa Sliman. He's a licensed civil engineer. He's our director of civil engineering. And so I brought him on and it's just been smooth sailing and true to his word, he referred some business. Uh, we, we, we're doing a couple custom homes in Arizona right now, along with some other projects uh, in California. And it's just been going. And for about two months, Jaffer, he was doing both, right? He was doing proposals. He was kind of pricing, researching, because one thing I didn't realize about civil is that it's a lot of research on the back end that you have mm -hmm. to deal with the city, county, state, whatever the case may be. And he was also doing the work as well. And so I said, all right, let me know when you're ready for us to pull the trigger and get a, a designer to come in and help. And sure enough, one day he said, Anthony, we need somebody. And I had <laughs> met, I, I had, I was kind of reading the tea leaves and I knew this was coming. So we had actually interviewed Roy. It's been about two, three months, probably around the same time we started civil. Cause I knew it was coming. And Roy, he was, he was like, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And I said, Roy, just hold, <laughs> just hold on a little bit. Yeah. Trust me, it's going to work out. And sure enough, we signed a, a project. And uh, yeah, Roy's been amazing. So it's, it's, it's been really cool to, to kind of be able to come in on projects kind of on the ground floor, no pun intended. Um, mm -hmm. And somebody may come to us and say, hey, we only want civil. And then I can just kind of slide a note and say, hey, we do mechanical, electrical and plumbing as well. And so it's much it's much easier for them to, to come to a one-stop shop. And I can vouch for that difficulty with civil. Throughout my career, I've dealt with, I don't know, probably about five different companies. And just about every single time I've had issues with communication, the turnaround time, just a lack of being connected on a project. Um, I have no idea why that is, but uh, it's just been a consistent issue. Yeah. And, and I think the issue with civil is that civil engineering projects can last a long time. So you're, you're constantly bringing in new projects and, and I, I get it, but at Winston engineering, we're like, Hey, at least if you're going to be late, let the client know. Um, if yeah. you're still going to be on time, let the client know it, it doesn't take, I'd rather over communicate than not at all. So. Yeah. Oh, I had, uh, I had a couple incidents recently where, you know, we had a scheduled date of when things would be delivered and then I would follow up like, Hey, where is this? And it's like the first time I talked to them and they said, you know, I'll have it in two weeks on this date. And then I follow up around that time and they're like, Oh, it'll be two more weeks. I'm like, well, it was supposed to take two weeks initially. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just been this constant problem. Roy, Anthony mentioned sort of the research that goes in on the front end. Can you talk a little bit about what that is exactly? Uh, some of the stuff of your, your process? And, you know, I first had to say that civil departments, sometimes they don't, some of the people just a little bit ego, they run it out. I've always been one of the ones who had to communicate. That was one of the banners that I always pushed. Um, when researching, sometimes the architects and everybody, they can draw the picture. I've been around properties where they show the picture and the architect them made it look real nice and how it's going to look. But what it has to take with is that what is on that property right now. So when you have to do research, you have to figure out if there's an easement. I've had people have a house put in a parcel map and they don't have the house, 
but they didn't go into details of if there's an existing easement, which is public access. And I've had water lines was going through people's front yard and the city got rights to dig their yard up. And so when you research, you got to know, like you see dig alerts. Some people will start digging and don't understand that fiber optic lines is on three feet shallow from existing surface. So the point of researching is to make sure what is out there, you know, what, and that's why we do geotech. Sometimes we got to wait. The states and the counties won't let you do no work unless they know what's underneath the ground surface. Mm -hmm. And so then we had to wait for a company called a geotech surfer, you know, who has to go out there and tell you what's going down with the ground by 10, 15 feet going under. Cause you could be laying on a, on a waterfall. And wonder why your property keep coming up more. I seen people build a shopping mall in my factory in Kansas City, Kansas. They built a shopping mall over a living spring and couldn't understand why the floors keep getting wet. So the research is for us to find out what is going on with the property before we start putting the project there. So the research comes with finding utilities, what's existing easements, what was the wrong with the property prior to this. Like storm drains is always measured over, like, is this a 20-year storm drain with a hydrology report? Because your surface may be one way one moment, and then you may have a historic rain and wash down the, le the levels for about six or eight inches. And that changed your whole grading. So this is where the research comes in, because now you're dealing with people's lives, and you got to make sure things are set correctly. And whenever you're dealing mm -hmm. with something with a monument, you know that Uncle Sam needs his money. So we're dealing with not just the property things, but the city needs to know so they can give it to the tax assessor. So that way that is official. So there's mm -hmm. where the research comes in, especially for before development. Yeah. I have a project right now where it's an existing home that's sinking because oh. the uh, we're trying to figure out the exact issue right now, but we have a, a geotechnical engineer out there. Uh, are scheduled to go out there to test the soil just to confirm, but we think it's essentially it it's it's what's called a uh, California basement, so it's a, a small narrow basement in the middle of the house, and we think that it's a uh, because of the soil condition the house is settling at a different rate from the basement and basically. Uh, and another issue that we think may be a uh, illegal addition to the house. <laughs> That's what uh, I'm about. So, <laughs> I've so been, there's all these issues. Yes. I just had somebody's house where they had to wear the backyard and come out the back and it goes into the little nature trail. Well, mm -hmm. the more rain happens, the natural earth is starting to dissolve out. So the back porch mm -hmm. is starting to sink in and out. Once that happens, just like the people in Santa Monica, they want to have this nice view. But when the mud starts getting in, keeps creeping more under the house, the house is going to slide. So they asked me, how could yeah. we save it? Only thing I can think of was putting concrete footings and bring up a retainer wall. And this is where the understanding the research, because we got to know how much rain comes in this area, how much mud and this is for the safety of people. Now, the slowness sometimes is because there's not too many jail debt companies. And sometimes the state or the city prefers a certain particular person or group because they've been proven before. Sometimes you try to get someone new. I've dealt that with surveyors. There's another one. We can't get 
mm-hmm. work until the surveyors get out there. Well, mm-hmm. if you got one surveyor working, he wants to do the home, you know, the home thing and stuff. We need a crew out there so we get the shot. So sometimes, like it takes me 15 minutes to convert surveyor points into a living fire. But it takes me two weeks to get the surveyor to go out there and shoot it <laughs> to get it to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so these are the type of situations like I tell somebody that um, with the research and getting the proper data, because the building ain't nothing. It's just the, mm-hmm. uh, obtaining all this um, data so we can make sure it's built properly. Yeah. Hey, Demetrius here. As you may know, Spaces is part of Gable Media, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. Gable empowers AE professionals just like you to better serve the world. Now, through the strategic development of a brand new membership platform, we are eliminating the traditional industry boundaries and information bottlenecks that we all experience. But we need your help. Please go to gablemedia.com/members and pick your top three initiatives that you believe will have the greatest impact on your growth, including a continuing education program, VIP access to expert forums and private Q&As, community boards, special freebies, and more. Go to gablemedia.com members and let us know what you'd like to see. Small Firm Entrepreneur Architects Get ready to build a better business with the Entree Architect podcast, where business meets architecture. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, the host of Entree Architect podcast. Join me every week for inspiring interviews with passionate people that share proven strategies to help you build a better business. If you think there is a problem, one, you can't make a move until you have a plan in place. The accountability chart really helps plan, okay, for the business, six to 12 months out, this is what we need. We cover it all from financial management to marketing, sales, productivity, and beyond. There's two sides of it, right? So there's the one when you don't have any work. So you're like, well, I'm either going to charge enough to be profitable or I'm going go to go out of business. Or you have so much work and you have backlog and you don't need any more work. So you charge way more. I'd also say lagging measures, one of the best like the best, best, best. <laughs> so for any client, for any professional service um, company, if you're going to take one thing away from what we're talking about today is to look at a number called the labor efficiency ratio. Entree Architect is not just a podcast. It's your secret weapon for success. With over 500 episodes, it's one of the longest running architecture podcasts in the world. You're sure to find the information you need to elevate your business. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now and join the community of small firm entrepreneur architects building better businesses. Anthony, so you got to get a surveyor and geotechnical engineer next. <laughs> it's It's been in the back of my mind because yeah. uh, it'd be best to just contract them out because you don't need them all the time. <laughs> That's true. That'll be another business opportunity. That's, you know, what's yeah. the engineering survey? Who knows? Well, to be honest, is that that's how I started. A lot of companies have used me as a sur with my surveyor experience. I started as a surveyor. Um, matter of fact, mm-hmm. I didn't even know what I was getting into. I was a rob man, and all I knew, I was in a deep hole holding a long ruler, which is turned <laughs> out to be a rod. And the guy told me, he said, you know, 
you got you good with computers, Roy. You should learn AutoCAD and put them together. Next thing you know, I became beneficial. Like scanning, I do total stations, um, Leica systems and everything. You know, I, I can even use drones because I used to have to read off of aerial maps with a digitizer puck to set the existing ground surface. Now we can use drones and take that data and get it more quicker. But it, sometimes it's getting the land data, especially if you got a project that's, let's say, in the middle of San Bernardino and trying to get a survey crew to go way out there and stake it in that hot sun. And, and yeah. it's almost like four hours of work, but they take almost three days doing it because they, they get tired and you got they got to check. So, yeah. Yeah. Roy, you had mentioned something I wanted to jump back to, uh, Dig Alert. What is that and how do people know if their property has a Dig Alert? I would tell anybody. Don't dig in your ground until you go and find a parcel map because too many times there's been where someone hit electrical line. You know, mm-hmm. like Southern California is based off of fiber optics now. So you don't know where a grounder is because we took off our, our power from transmission poles. You know, they don't run on top, it run underneath. So you still got to have a grounder. Just like they tell you on those trains, don't touch the little gold thing and stuff, you know, because it's, it's so many electrical volts, it's going to kill you instantly. So I've had people mm-hmm. digging, and if your home is beyond 1985, when they were still using clay piping, you can go too much and bust out, and now you wonder why you don't have no water to your house because you done bust out your pipe. So I would tell anybody, before you dig anywhere, find out what's in there, the city will send somebody out and they you see a little paint on the ground. It'll let you know if there's a gas line running through here. Is there a sewer lateral running this way? You know, mm-hmm. um, sometimes people don't even know there's a clean out to their house and it'd be sitting like 20 feet out. And I've seen people trying to dig and next thing you know, they hit the lateral yeah. around the clean out. So I will always tell someone to. Just to double check, because you never know. There's so much abandoned stuff out there as well. Is there a certain depth that you could comfortably dig for some small project without going into dig? Uh, without well, it depends on what state you live in. <laughs> California, you really don't want to go a foot underneath because you're going into more sand and everything. That's why we got more crawl spaces. And so now if you go towards the Midwest, they have basements because of tornadoes. So you got to dig down a little bit more where it's inhabitable, about 15 feet underneath ground surface. So uh, with the state of California, I would be like, um, I wouldn't even go a foot underneath except for footings, which is still about, what, 16 inches could be the minimum depth for what the city requires. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I it depends on what state you live in. Yeah, for the dig alert, typically, um, I think on your parcel map or track map, it shows there's like little uh, uh, logo, right? That's yes. that says dig alert. At least here in California, yes, um, that lets you know that you need to call and and get your site yeah. investigated. Well, it's mandatory not just to put that dig alert symbol. Now you got to put the number there too. Now. California, um, state of California has a little 888 number that they want you to put under there. They haven't attached it. They're expecting you to do it. And it's mm-hmm. amazing that 
no resident is going to build off the blueprints. You would think that mm -hmm. these are professionals, but we still run with professional with a, uh, one of them little Tommy Boys um, dirt diggers and still dig up underneath without checking the plans. And there's a problem. Yeah. Isn't that number, uh, is it 811 for the dig alert? Yes, yes, that's it. I knew it was something. It starts with an eight, but yes. And it's mandatory that it shows on the thing. You used to just put the shovel symbol on there with the with the yeah. um, um, Ghostbuster symbol. That's why I call it going through the <laughs> shovel. But now they want you to put that number on there as well. Because I constantly try to study the, the standards of any state or city I'm working in. And California is the hardest one out of every state, even other countries, because of the shallowness of land and then the chances of earthquakes. Yeah. Anthony, is there a relationship and have you seen an advantage of having all of these engineering arms under one roof? Yeah. So it really comes into play when it comes to locations of utilities, right? So civil uh, will sometimes, well, most times dictate where the power lines come in, where the water lines come in, right? The drainage. And so on the electrical side, we need to know where the power is coming into, let's say, a big commercial building so that we know where to set the transformer, where to set the switchboard. Um, same with the incoming water feed so that you, you can start doing your branch, your branch lines and your drainage and all of that. But another good thing is it goes back to convenience, right? Having a firm that can do it all at once. And that ties back into our conversation about the lack of communication with most engineer, uh, civil engineering firms is that I, I can just call Jaffer or Worry, right? And say, hey, what's mm -hmm. going on with this? Um, and we can work through it pretty easily, right? We have all types of screen share tools that we use that makes it pretty easy. And we can get things done on the fly where if it's two, if it's separate entities, sometimes that communication, um, that lack of cohesion can cause communication de delays. Yeah. Yeah. Does electrical, uh, mechanical, electrical plumbing ever sort of reverse engineer to some extent to inform civil and say, look, I know you want to bring the lines in here because of the main line. But if you brought it over here, it would make it a lot easier for it to run the electrical. Does that ever happen? I haven't seen it happen there have been times where an architect will draw up their building and they want their electrical room at a certain location for whatever reason. And we have to say, no, you have to move it because civil shows it coming in here. So we do it that way because it's going to be a cost savings, right? You're not running yeah. feeders all over the place in weird locations. So your building may not be as pretty, right? Because architects are really <laughs> big on aesthetics um, <laughs> yeah. and certain things. So we usually let civil engineering dictate what needs to happen because they're going to choose the path of, of least resistance of stuff coming mm -hmm. into the building. If I can elaborate, what he, the city gives out specifics of where they want the gas lines to run. If they want it on the left, the south or the mm -hmm. east side or the west or the north side, they let you know what laterals can run where and where things can run. So sometimes that's the civil has to follow what the state say because we can't approve no plans unless they approve it for the project to be. Uh, so there's some dictation from the, the city or whatever the jurisdiction is. Yeah. Got it. Before we get out of here, Roy, can you sort of walk me through the process of a civil engineering project? So once you get assigned to a project, what does that process sort of look like for you? 
I'm glad you asked me. I'm going to make it real quick because I've been an advocate for the push of what y'all was just mentioning about civil. Sometimes some of the older generations want to sit on the plan. They want to make people think that they're really concentrated on it. <laughs> I'm just, you know, <laughs> I've had plans where they was done a week ago, and he had, he had like, no, just sit on this a little bit. We want them to think that we're really concentrating <laughs> on the work. You know, um, the thing is, when I first take a task, I get familiar with the addresses and everything. Then I go on the Google Earth Pro, and I like taking a walk through the area. I even take little snap. Um, pictures. That little blue guy is me all through the property. Once I can understand what they wanting, what the ideas, then it's for me to research what does the city, because some cities in California doesn't go off of California standards. The cities have their own sometimes. So you have to go with combining the city standards, the county standards, and what do the state Caltrans or if it's roadway, street improvement. When I find out what it, what it is, I usually do a check mark for what the city, because you know what's the the main thing we want to do is get our plans approved by the city engineer. So what I do is I lay out the plan checks of what they're expecting on the sheets. So then I look at if it's a grading project, it's a street improvement. That means I got to call out every single thing and may not even show on existing plans, but I know there's a manhole. It was some asphalt laid over, but there's a manhole down there. So it's my job to call out every single thing because if the city gets in, they say, hey, it makes us look very bad if I don't call out every utility, call out what's the easements, proposed easements and everything. Once I get to that part, everything is like icing after that. You know, if I can get the grading and my constraints together, because we can't just work all over the spot. We got to have room constraints. And and that's why I'm telling anybody, you know, Winston Engineering, because I love the infrastructure. And plus, me and J4, we, uh, I know my push is a bit war winner. I've been with other companies that was war winners. I worked overnight and everything. And we was on 20-acre projects. And so starting like this and using my infrastructure and me and Jafar, we communicate a lot. So we can be on the same team and then we can take on bigger projects. And the men, Anthony may want to bring on three more, four more people in civil. They got to fall on the way we do things, which is stop and research first. Do -hmm. not put nothing out just because the architects do it. We got to make sure it works. And so that's how I look at a project. So that reef. Research informs all of those utilities that you're showing. And then you, uh, and then as you are designing, what you're doing is laying those uh, utility lines. And then you mentioned the grading. You're designing how that water flows when it hits the hits the site, yes. where that water goes exactly. Because the main thing you don't want to do is is flooding. That's why I'd be fearful of my Holland Drive. They used to try to get me, <laughs> you know, to take the PE test. And I felt like. You know, like I like being with Jafar, Jafar, where I can give him my work and have him check it. I didn't want like Anthony, he can sign on his own thing. I didn't not in civil. I don't want to cause a flood and people lose their lives. <laughs> I don't have the insurance to cover everything. So but it's into looking at how safe is it for people? That's the biggest thing. Can people be in there sleeping safe? 
and knowing that their building is not going to crumble around them. That is what I, mm -hmm. uh, everything else, they work inside the mechanical, electrical, but it's for me to make sure that the site is stable. And when you deal with grading and everything, yes. And I want to vouch for any of our listeners that are not in the building industry on a professional sense, homeowners that may be listening. Uh, this civil engineering is one of the things, first things to go for a lot of homeowners that are doing work because it can be some, a little bit pricey, but you have to do that because like the house that I mentioned where they didn't properly drain that design, the drainage for that house. Mm -hmm. And at some point they ended up changing where the downspouts were and it all dropped right around that foundation, which caused a lot of this uh, soil issues. So you have to get a civil engineer involved to design that grading to make sure that water gets out, like you said, uh, Roy, to make sure that um, that the home is safe and the, and the site is safe to, to continue to live in. Because uh, over time, this stuff can happen and creep up on you. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> sure you have will. a giant crack. Uh, <laughs> this house that I walked, there's a bulge in the stairway oh. where the uh, structural system is collapsing because yes. it's it just slowly started to erode around them. Yeah. Demetrius, I've seen the people, they kept coming to me and they I said, hey, I can help you design your house. And they said no. So they built up the house. They framed it up. They spent almost $25,000, $30,000 of their own monies to build up the house. Well, they didn't have the blueprints or, you know, none of the plans. The city inspectors come through, told them, tear it all down, and you can't use the same materials. Wow. It was 30, it was over $25,000. They was crying. They was asking. I said, it's nothing I can do because the city done said you can't even use this materials no more. You got to start anew. And so it's like you said, they has got it done right the first time. They wouldn't have to go back and lose out so much monies. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Roy, Anthony. Anthony, before we get out of here, uh, any any announcements to share? Or, uh, or if people want to follow along with Winston, uh, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, so website, winstoneng.com. We're on all social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram. Facebook, everything. I just went to engineering. Um, right now, we're just, we're really focusing, putting a big focus on public works, specifically uh, affordable housing. It's kind of one of those passion projects for me, just really near and dear to me. It's a lot of unhoused folks out there. And I think it's very important that we use our skill sets to better humanity. So that's really in the works right now. I actually just got an email for a project uh, in Lamert Park. So I think that's going to be a really cool affordable housing project. In terms of the, you know, more stuff in the future, who knows? We might add structural engineering. Then we're we're really capturing everything, but we'll see. I want to see how, how well civil does and, and then start focusing on that. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you to the listeners for listening. We'll talk again on the next one. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-Media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon.
Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.